1: We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm thrilled to have my next guest here. We have Yasser Hashim uh, here, who is the co-founder and CEO of an incredible, incredible drink called Lumen. And uh we were connected through a friend, and I was so grateful to be able to try this drink and we're gonna talk a little bit more with the author about it. But he is the co-founder and CEO of lumen, and more than anything, I love his story in addition to his products. You know, I'm all about stories and He was on a path to becoming a doctor Um, after being accepted into medical school. He broke the news to uh, family and friends that he wasn't going to do that. And instead, he was going to jump into the beverage industry. So, love, love, love that for so many reasons. Finding your passion and figuring out how to move forward. We'll talk a little bit more about his co founder as well. And as I said, learning from challenges is, is really what this podcast is all about. And just recognizing what he ultimately wanted to do with his life as well is uh, is so, so key. So these are hemp-based drinks. Uh, we'll learn about some of the challenges around bringing a hemp product into the market too. So welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Kara. How's it going? It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. Uh, really, really good. So let's talk a little bit more about you as uh you know what were the early years like you immigrated first of all uh to the u.s and uh you moved to texas um uh, so <laughs> i'll let you continue to share that story
0: yeah yeah i mean uh, as a young kid i think at the time i was 11 or 12 big culture shock so uh the first You know, I was born and raised in the Middle East, so Arabic's my first language, and I learned English growing up, so that part wasn't as hard to kind of transfer over coming to the States, but just going from private school to public school in Texas, you know, and then so private school growing up to public school in Texas, and then going from having to wear, you know, like Navy shorts and a shirt, you know, polo to wear whatever you want and uh, go from class to class. And so I think a big part of it in the early days was just understanding American culture. That was the biggest shock for me. Um, I remember one of the biggest things for me as a kid was with, um, you know, culturally in the middle East with women, you don't really look them in the eyes. just a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's out of respect. Whereas here in the States, if you don't look someone in their eyes, it's like, oh, you're not paying attention to me. And so that was a really weird thing as a kid growing up is like just constantly adjusting to like, okay, no, I'm listening, but it's, uh, so little things like that you kind of adjust to over time. Um, but I loved it. I think there are a lot of parts of American culture that I fell in love with right away. Um, you know, freedom to express yourself however you wanted. And, you know, well, there were obviously rules, but like in, in middle school, it's like, yeah, dress however you want, you know, wear whatever you want. And so you got to see and experience a lot more, uh, like a lot more diversity, a lot more culture. So that was really cool. But yeah, I think the, the first couple of years was a really big culture shock and just kind of making friends and trying to understand how things worked. and. Um, and then over time, you know, I actually fortunately met my co-founder for Lumen in middle school. So having two or three people that you meet early on that kind of bring you in under their wing are like, okay, let me show you how things work. You know, this is this is where we sit at the lunch tables. You go grab a tray, you go over here, and so it was cool. I think, um, yeah, I'm very fortunate to be in America, and those first couple of years were they were interesting, but once I adjusted to the culture, I really did fall in love with it.
1: So you talked about your co-founder. So that was so when you got to the U.S. you. Grew up in Plano uh, then, or immigrated yeah, yeah. to Plano, Texas. So uh, he was living in Plano. He was living there, yeah, as well. And he
0: was actually going to the same school. So he lived in a similar neighborhood. So it was two neighborhoods that fed into one middle school. Uh, so we, I'd met him in middle school, but we became friends in high school. And so I knew who he was. And then we were both on the path to become doctors. And so our, you know, we were very fortunate. Our high school had a program it's called clinical rotations. And so if you wanted to be a doctor, you kind of applied for this program. And what they would do is you'd start in nursing homes. And so they'd take you around to all these nursing homes and you'd get certified as a certified nursing assistant. And so we were helping, you know, elderly patients. We do, uh, we check blood pressure, we would help, you know, whether it was shaving or um, bed care, whatever wow. it was kind of as, as, a, as a high schooler. And so Chris got accepted that program as well. And so it was a small group of students, as so I think, You know, every class had like 17 or 20 students in it, and there's only two. Um, And so we were in the same class, and that's when we really became friends because it was like, okay, we both want to do this doctor thing. Um, And obviously it's a big shock to be in a nursing home, but we loved it. And it was a whole experience, and you kind of get to see how everything works at a basic level. Uh, And then from there, you rotate hospitals. So they, you know, they find a couple of departments in a hospital they're willing to take on students, and they say, okay, you know, we've got 20. We can split them up into groups of three. And so one, you know, one week you're in the ER, the next week you're in the NICU, the next week you're in the radiology department. And so it's a lot of fun because then it's you know two, three students, and we got to leave campus, which is great as a high schooler, getting to drive off to a hospital. And you get it's very experiential. I mean, there's stories of people, you know, helping with CPR and chest compressions. And, and so you got to experience a lot of medicine before you go into medicine. It's like, okay, is this? You?
1: how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? OK, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around. Available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor, as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive. to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year.
0: This is what you really want. Uh, and at the time, it's what we wanted, but you know as we as we kind of went through college, things
1: changed that's that's wild so Chris, obviously, when you think about influences, he definitely was one of them um and uh it it sounds like um but how how did you decide to change your mind? I mean, you talked a little bit about this. you went on to go to undergrad and then finished. Uh, that you and Chris obviously remained good buddies, and and so yeah. what was kind of your thinking at this point? Yeah,
0: I never. It was never an instant like a flip of the switch. I think it kind of took time. Uh, you know, once I did when I started my undergrad, the first sign for me was that it was never as easy. To, you know, I was never as smart as some of the other students. And so it was never as easy to make the grades, I think, for that. I'd watch students study for a couple hours and go, and I'm like, I'm still here. I got to figure this out. So it took me twice as long. And so part of it was that it didn't necessarily come naturally to me. And so, but I still felt like medicine was what I wanted to do. So that was like, okay, well, this, it's, it's not as easy as I think it is, but I'm still passionate about it. I think another part of it too is we got to experience from doing clinical rotations to doing internships while I was an undergrad. I got to see what the other side of medicine was about when it wasn't necessarily taking care of a patient, but how do these doctors feel? What is their free time like? What are they doing outside of the hospital? And as I went from high school to undergrad to graduate school, I watched some of the same doctors that I kind of shadowed since I was in high school become more and more burnt out, work longer and longer hours. And I was like, okay, this isn't a good trajectory. And they just didn't seem happy. And they would always tell me like, oh, my buddy started this business. and I wish I would have just done that. Or, oh, you know, my friend created this thing and they're, you know, off in Italy. And like, that would have been really cool to do. And so for me, I think too, coming from the Middle East, there's being an entrepreneur is not like a normal thing. Mm -hmm. Like there is, it's very hard to be like, oh, I'm going to go start this. It's not a thing. It's not something you aspire to do. And so. That only started, i only started to realize that kind of through my undergraduate studies and then into graduate school, I realized like oh, there's an entrepreneurship program. There's people that have ideas and someone's willing to give you money for their ideas. Like, like all their hard-earned money and they're like, hey, I'll support you. And so to me, it was like partly understanding this this whole new concept of like, whoa, you can, you can create something and people will believe in you and they'll support you and they'll help you. And then it's like, and then this other thing that I really wanted to do, kind of my, my, my love for it slowly kind of waned. Um, and so it was a combination of, I think, multiple factors. Um, and then what really pushed me over the edge was, uh, while I was doing my graduate studies, Chris had decided he wanted to have a startup. And so he'd already decided he could defer med school. So he deferred for me. Uh, and so I was like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> it's like called, I was like, Chris, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you no, know, I'm like, I want to do this other thing. And so I was helping him build the business plan for that. And, um, I just fell in love with it. You know, I fell in love with the process of putting a business plan together uh, and going and pitching it. Even though our first couple of pitches were absolutely horrible, uh, but just that that entire process, was just, I just fell in love with it, and I was at that moment I didn't turn back.
1: And what was the company? Okay, so it was a company. It was going to be
0: in Texas, and it was for a uh, is this called the Texas Compassionate Use Program? So it was a program that was designed for uh, patients with a, a very rare type of epilepsy where it's very debilita- debilitating. Um, actually, they can't, it's really hard to go to school. They're developmentally delayed. They have seizures that happen, you know, pretty intense multiple times a day. Uh, and so for these particular uh, patients, CBD at, at a high levels, uh, really helped reduce the intensity and the frequency of their seizures. Mm. And so what Texas had done was they designed this program where it was like, okay, we're going to make CBD legal and we're going to allow people to grow it. And uh, they built an infrastructure for it. And so Chris was really drawn to the program because um, it had helped his mother as he was growing up. So his mother had epilepsy. And so he had a kind of an emotional connection to the program. Um, and he was a bit of a miracle child. His mother wasn't supposed to be able to have kids. And so there was, there was a connection for him to the program. And so he's building this kind of business, and I was doing my neuroscience master's at the time. And so he was like, hey, could you, you know, reach out to some professors and see if there's any overlap? Or can you look at my business plan and things like that? And so that's how the process started. And we, so then we ended up building a plan together. And what happened for that business was the, it was a regulatory shift. And so it was our first big loss as entrepreneurs, but we put everything we had into that yep. business. And the state of Texas decided, you know what? instead of it being, I think it was like 3000 or $6,000 to get a license to be able to build this business, we're going to make it a quarter of a million dollars.
1: Oh my God. And you're
0: going to have to renew it. Yeah. You're going to have to renew it every two years. And instead of it being an unlimited open program, we're only going to give out three licenses. And so we'd spent all this money, all of our savings from med school to like build this business. And we'd gotten some investors that we'd met, you know, like at the gym and, the, you know, mom's dad's friend's cousin to help out and um, and so we were already half, you know, we're in the program and, uh, and so we had this moment where we're like, okay, what do we do? And some of our investors were like, look, we'll support you. If you get a license, you know, we'll help pay for it. Like everything will be okay. So like, okay, you know, we've got a good group that's willing to help us here. And, uh, I think we built our whole application by ourselves We ranked in the top third of companies and we didn't end up getting a license. And, uh, a part of that, I think, so we lost everything on it you know, gave whatever, whatever's left of the money, gave the investors their money back. And, yeah, it was a it was a rough learning experience for us. But I think one of the things that started to draw me away from business, I was like, okay, wait, I don't want to do this whole regulatory lobbying, find yeah. someone that can help you push your... And I was like, this isn't for me. Um, and out of that opportunity with one of our advisors came the opportunity to work on Lumen. Uh, and so after that first company kind of fell apart, it was crazy how many people were like, hey, you want to help me run my real estate company? Or hey, do you want to do this project with me? Or do you want to do that? And we are like, whoa, okay, a lot of opportunities. And so we kind of went down the list and lived with the one where we were like, that feels really good. Uh, so we just jumped headfirst again.
1: If you've been listening to the Kara Golden Show for a while, you may have heard about my book, Undaunted, which by the way, is now a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. In Undaunted, you will learn about my journey, not only how I came up with the idea for Hint, but also the ups and downs, twists and turns along the way. I learn from stories, and I guess my own story is no exception. You will definitely hear it all in Undaunted. Listening to books is one of my favorite secrets to getting more books under my belt. I find that I can always get a bit of listening in, whether it's on my lunch break or even on a hike. Probably the thing that has made me happiest about writing this book is hearing from people, hearing how this book has helped them push through hard things that they are dealing with and try new ones. I've heard from countless people how Andonidas helped them see that they are not alone in their difficult times, but also how pushing forward and finding a way is usually what it takes. Looking back on my stories and sharing observations about how I got through just those sticky moments might help you think about some of your own sticky situations as well. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do something. It's time to move past your fears and defy the doubters too. My book on Donut is available everywhere. Books are sold on Amazon and Audible as well. And shoot me a DM and tell me what you think. Back to the show. So let's talk about Lumen. So how did that came about through an investor yeah. from the, the failed startup uh, before? I always <laughs> yeah. I always say failed is such a funky word right because it's it's not i mean it sounds like you truly learned a lot you learned about you know how hard it is to do certain types of businesses right and yeah, what yeah. you know and even if it didn't make sense and you were doing really good you were running into regulations that were going to be really tough hurdles um to overcome and they were going to take a lot of time and so you decided i'm going to go and Start Lumen. So talk to me about Lumen. So it's uh, obviously, um, you know, takes some of the uh, CBD piece from the previous startup, but this is a hemp-based drink. So talk to me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So um, I think the process of transitioning, what we found is, found. you know, like for Chris and I, we were passionate about When we were looking at the first company the reason there was a link between the two was because we're passionate about this concept of regenerative agriculture so it's this type of farming where you don't use any chemicals you don't use any pesticides it actually worked the unit economics actually worked great and so it's it's a way to make really clean food and so when we were looking at that program in texas for epilepsy we realized that we could use the same farming methodology and the same practice to create really clean cbd mm. and so if it's going to be given to someone as medication we need to make sure that there's never any chemicals or pesticides used at all in the process because we've seen you know lots of studies where some of those pesticides then get concentrated through to the final product and so it's like okay well how do we create that system the other thing we were passionate about is so it's like healthy food and then making the world a better place so those were the the key concepts and so when Uh, when our advisor connected us to this idea of lumen it was the same concept it was how do we use this regenerative agriculture good for the planet way to make clean food uh, and tie it to a brand and so it's like okay well that's what we're passionate about we're passionate about the core concept of making clean food that's healthy for people and healthy for the planet and it was tied to this idea of a consumer company and so we're like oh yeah that's gonna be easy we got this And and we learned the hard way um so so we, uh, I booked, I remember I had like no money left and I told my parents, I was like, "Look, you know, I, I don't think they fully knew that the first company had like gone under and it was, I was just devastated. So I was like, look, I'm, you know, I'm going to California. We're gonna, we're just taking the you know, business. We're figuring some stuff out. Like I'll be, I'll be back. And uh, I walked into a Bank of America. I got my first ever credit card. Didn't, didn't ever have a credit card before. And it was like a $500 limit. And I booked a one-way ticket to San Francisco and it was like 240 bucks or something. So i already used half my limit. And, uh, and we land, cause I had some cash. I was like, I need to stretch this out as yeah, far as it'll yeah. go. And so landed in California and there was a third partner that was helping us with the business at the time. And it was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to tie this concept of clean food to, to a consumer brand. And the idea was everyone's making CBD extracts and isolates, and we're going to do it very different. We're just going to juice the hemp plant and it's going to be cold pressed hemp juice. It's not going to be extracted. It's not going to be isolated. Uh, and so uh, that's that was the idea of our, our partner Jacob. He's like, look, well, we're juicing it just like you juice celery juice or kale juice. And uh, we're like, all right, you know, it sounds simple. Sounds great. And so, yep, yeah, we flew out. We had one investor that was crazy enough to write us a tiny check. We took what was left and we bought a juicer. It was like this. It's called like an X6 or something. It was like a six thousand dollar juicer. It made the most horrible hydraulic noise sound. And uh, we. We drove it up to a farm in Oregon who was the advisor that had connected us to the idea. And he'd grown some hemp for us. And we couldn't even afford a place to stay. And so we'd, uh, we pitched up some tents in his barn. And I remember telling Chris, I was like, Chris, I can't do this. And so uh, we got a, I got a membership or we both got memberships at Planet Fitness just so I could like shower and like brush my teeth. And I was like, dude, I have to shower. I can do the tent thing, but I got to shower. Uh, and so we would harvest hemp. So we'd harvest hemp and, you know, we'd wash it. And we juiced it and we thought that's how you start a juice company you just you just juice it we didn't even think about the customer at the time and so here we are juicing hemp and so we have hemp juice now and we're like okay well what do we do now and so it's like well we gotta sell it and so uh, we're like okay well we don't have enough money because you know from the consumer space it's really expensive to buy bottles and labels and caps yeah. and all yeah. the other ingredients and stuff And so I like what do we do and so we're like oh we could do a kickstarter or like an indiegogo because that's a good way to get people to buy it without us having to like have all the money and everything figured out. Yeah. Like let's just see if people want it. And so that was as far as we thought as just like as young entrepreneurs. And, um, and so we started doing all the numbers for, for launching a product on Indiegogo as a Kickstarter and, uh, to do pre-sales. And we realized that you, cause we're going to do a full size hemp juice and we'd add like maybe some celery and stuff to it. And we realized the unit economics don't work. Like it's just, it's too expensive. It's too heavy to ship, you know, four juices with ice in a box to keep it fresh, to not have to heat pasteurize it, and so that's how the idea of a wellness shot came out. We're like, we're like, okay, well, if we do a two ounce and we can charge, you know, X, and then it costs us Y, then okay, the numbers work. Okay, let's just do wellness shots. Um, and so that's how the wellness shot numbers work because it was literally we just got on an Excel sheet. We're like, okay, well, we can buy this for this, and uh, and so now we decided, okay, we're gonna do wellness shots. And so um, we got the flavors kind of as best we could, and. Um, we had what was left of the investment money, and we're like, okay, we're gonna take what's left and we're going all in. So, all of it's gonna go onto Facebook ads. It's gonna drive traffic to our website. Everything's gonna be great. And we're gonna launch, we're gonna make money, everything's gonna work out just fine. And so, we moved to Oakland. We have all of our hemp juice, and it's like stored in you know, freezers in our apartment. Yeah. And we had like a commercial kitchen, it's ready to let us work. And we hit go on our videos, our Indiegogo launches. We go to Facebook, we run our first ad and they block it. And they were like, Nope, you're an illegal drug manufacturer. This is, you know, this is cannabis. And we're like, no, it's just hemp juice. Like it's just, and so no ads. So here we are, the clock's ticking on our Indiegogo. And we're looking and we're just like, okay, what are we gonna do? And so we took all the money and it was a pivot. We took everything we had, we're like, all right, we're just gonna make wellness shots. And so we did one big run. And we filled, I don't know if you know the, like the igloo coolers yeah. with the white lids. Yeah. And have, so we filled igloo coolers and we got a map of Oakland at the time. We lived around, uh, by Lake Merritt. We pinned all of the like, yoga studio, CrossFit gym, uh, like music center, uh, meditation center. And we just pinged all of them. And we would go, we'd start as early as we could and we'd go door to door. And we'd just not be like, look, you know, we're a young startup and you know, we can't do ads online. And we just need to find a way to get our product out. And so we printed these cards on, at Kinko's or at, at FedEx that said, you know, please support us on Indiegogo. And it had the link. And we'd set up a bucket of ice and we would just sample. And, you know, we'd go in and we'd do yoga with the class. We're like, look, we'll participate in the class too. And so we're in there getting our butts kicked, trying to do yoga, just sweaty. I was like, this, the is way harder than I thought. And then we'd finish. We're covered in sweat and we're just sampling shots. Oh my! And God. they tasted horrible. But, you know, I'm so grateful for all those early, you know, people that were like, you know what, guys, we're gonna, we're going to support, gonna support you. you. What year was this? This was in 2018, I believe. Yeah, yeah it's like 20. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was in 2018, and um,
1: yeah, people just we
0: did thirty two thousand dollars just up and down the block in in like six weeks.
1: That is wild. Uh,
0: just door to door, and we are so grateful for every single one of those Indiegogo subscribers.
1: What was the point when you actually were getting it into like the Whole Foods of the world?
0: Oh, God. Um, so we went from Indiegogo to our after that campaign had completed, the first ever grocery store was Erwan, actually in LA. that kind of saw what happened on Indiegogo. They're like, all right, we'll give you guys a chance. And so we go to, that was the first move. That was the first ever grocery store. So we packed our bags. We just made friends in Oakland and everything. they were like, okay, got to go business. Got to go somewhere else. Packed our bags, moved down to Long Beach because uh, it's all we could afford. And we were um, that's how it started. So it was like five grocery stores. It was just air one and no distributor put us on their truck because they're like, you got five stores. I've got a hundred products, you know, plus on my truck, I'm going to lose your two little boxes. And so we'd have to, you know, make it a commercial kitchen, just like we were in, uh, Chris had a Jeep at the time. So we would drive the Jeep to the back of the Airwan, one, which is all these trucks. And here we are, these two founders you're walking up to receiving and they have their clipboard and they're like, Hey, look, can you please help me? Like, I don't want to wait, you know, please. And so the receiving guys got to know us, you know, we buy them donuts and coffee. They're like, Oh, Lumen boys are here. Come on. You know, and they tell the 18 wheeler guys, like, hey, let them through. Come on. It's just two little founders. And uh, so we'd go to receiving, they'd give us, you know, the thing and we'd go put it on the shelf and then uh, we'd sample and that's how it started. So we. Kind of did a lot of the sampling. It was uh, grocery stores and coffee shops. Is kind of how it all started, or like little bodegas where they make sandwiches and stuff. Any store we could get, any sale we could get, okay. and um, we were growing the business. And it had hemp juice at the time, which is we, we cold pressed the entire plant. And the California Department of Public Health didn't really understand what it was. Mm-hmm. They're like, is it CBD? Is it not CBD? It has naturally occurring CBD, but it, it was that's just it wasn't like a CBD extract or an isolate or anything. It was just like you juice uh, kale or celery. And um, so they kept pulling it off the shelf. So here we are as a young brand, just trying to get sales and just trying to understand our consumer. And we could barely, you know, we we could barely keep our product on the shelf because it was selling, but also because it kept getting pulled off by the California Department of Public Health. And the early days of your brand are the hardest. And we're trying to figure out how to just refine the brand. And so we're in there and we've got little, you know, demo tables and we're sampling and trying to figure out why the, you know, product keeps getting pulled off the shelf. And did you know then it was the pandemic pulled hit.
1: off the shelf or were you just like trying yeah. to figure out like, I mean, did air one tell you what was happening? They didn't tell us what
0: was happening, but we, we were such a young brand. That was how we paid our, how we paid our bills was having product on the shelf and then selling it. Yeah, And so if it wasn't selling fast enough, we'd have to go into the store and like put down a bucket of ice and sample. And so we figured out that it was missing because we were in stores so often. That we'd go into a store and the product's not there yeah. and we're like what's going on but you on? never got like a and notice like, oh,
1: from the department of public health
0: no no, no. we we found a couple of notices in the stores after we would found our product in the back with oh the notice God. but no one had ever been yeah. like let me call yeah. we're such a small company yeah and then the pandemic hits right so we'd spent all this time and we'd you know finally gotten some friends and family involved and you've grown the business it was t- like up to like 10 grand a month or something and all of a sudden the pandemic hits and it's like okay. All the gro- all the coffee shops are just like shut down. Yeah. All of our bodegas and our sandwich shops shut down. So our revenue just like plummeted. plummeted. And and, yeah, and we've been talking to Whole Foods for such a long time, and we, you know, we met the buyer, we have met some of the, you know, executives, and we're like, please just give us a chance. And they're like, we'd love to. We love the brand, we love the idea, but we don't understand this hemp juice thing. Like it's, you know, we don't know what the regulatory thing is on it. And so we had this moment. You know, we're looking at our business. We're looking at, you know, the pandemic hits, our revenues are plummeting, we're running out of money. And we're like, what do we do? How do we, you know, where do we go? And we turned and looked at what Whole Foods was selling that has hemp because we were like, okay, customers love wellness shots and they love the concept of hemp and they love hemp juice, but we can't do hemp juice right now. So what else could we substitute it with that still maybe hemp, but is still functional and tastes delicious and that would work? How can we make this work? And at Whole Foods and a lot of these other grocery stores, they were selling hemp seed oil. And so we're like, okay, well, a lot of the ingredients we use are regenerative. Can we find regenerative hemp seed oil? And we found it. And we're like, okay, mm. well, what are the benefits of hemp seed oil? Well, it's got, you know, it's healthy omegas. So it's your, and so we're like, okay, how much do we have to put into our wellness shots for it to be your full daily value of omega-3, 6, and, 9? and so we pulled the hemp juice, added hemp seed oil, and it made the shots creamier. It made them more functional. Mm. All the ingredients in a shot are better in the presence of healthy fats. And that's essentially what hemp seed oil is. Mm. And so we went back to Whole Foods at the middle of the pandemic. And we were like, please just give us a chance. That's all we're asking for is just one chance. And they said, fine, we'll do 20 stores and you've got three SKUs, we'll take one. And so at the peak of the pandemic, our sales are plummeting. We don't know what to do. We literally, we didn't even have like the right boxes or the right, we just, it was, it was a horrible wow. like package right. experience and they put us they gave us 20 stores and then we looked at you know as a team we looked at each other and we're like okay this is our chance to make it right here and so back to the fundamentals and so peak pandemic we're in stores with a mask and there's like a plastic shield and we couldn't even sample and we just stand in store you know with a bucket of ice and we produce extra products Mm -hmm. we scratch out the barcodes and we tell people like hey look we're a young startup this is our chance you know we'd love for you to just try our products and uh, it's a buy one, get one free. We'd bring them in from home or from the production facility. Be like, if you buy one, I'll just give you one for free. And so it's helping drive that early trial. And we knew that if we could just get people to try it, even if it wasn't in store, that they would come back. And, you know, the bet hit because people kept coming back and our volumes kept growing. And, you know, it went from 20 stores to four regions. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. But that's how the whole food story ended up coming about.
1: That's amazing. What do you think is it was the... I mean, I feel like there's still so much education around hemp. You touched on some of this, I, where people, you know, think it's marijuana, right? I mean, how and how much of that has been a hurdle to you actually being able to get your product on the shelf and just people not being as educated about your industry, your category as a whole. I think it's huge. I,
0: I, it was. At the beginning, we realized that we had to educate the retailers. We couldn't even get to the consumer because the retailer had to understand exactly what the product was before they were willing to even put it on the shelf. Sure. And so the education process was, it was, we were always educating. And then what we realized, like, okay, we can get the, 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 the retailer to understand what it is. But then when we were trying to educate the consumer, what we also realized, you know, as a wellness shot, it's such a small little product on the shelf that you don't have a lot of space for someone to, to teach someone about totally. hemp juice, right? And so you have just fractions of a second. And the, the question for us became, how do we do this? How do we educate? And so we tried a couple unique things. Like with Erwan, we tried doing what was called a luminade. Mm-hmm. And so we would give them fresh pressed hemp juice and they put it behind their juice bar at the time. Uh, they don't have it anymore. But it's, it's, so what the, the deal was, is they were kind of, they were making lemonades and they would you know, do this fresh shot of hemp juice that they would add to it. So it's more of a consumer experience for them to see because, you know, CBD was usually it came in like a, a vial and you kind of like squeezed it out, whereas this was like a green juice. And so we felt that if we could get people to see the juice and see it getting added to something, that would be a part of the education component to it. Um, so that helped a little bit. And what we also realized is it was how we spoke about the product. And so we had to stop. We used to talk about all these intricate details on, you know, how hemp juice was good for you. What we realized was we had to just keep it very simple yeah. and say, you know, it's just juiced hemp, yeah. and we just juice the plant, and it's just like juicing kale or celery or spinach, and it's green juice. And that was the essence of what really started to get the ball moving on people understanding what it was. Uh, and then they would ask, like, oh, does it have CBD? And we'd say, yeah, there's some naturally occurring CBD, but it's also got, you know, chlorophyll and vitamins and minerals and. And so it was kind of like a whole plant approach. And we're like, a, you know, the analogy was kind of like having a caffeine pill or a coffee, mm-hmm. right? Where one is concentrated, the other, you get kind of the entire experience. And so that was a part of the education process. And I think what we learned, even switching to hemp seed oil, was to just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And you know, our sales really grew when we you know, changed the front of our packaging to where it said, you know, ginger, turmeric, hemp instead of trying to explain what hemp seed oil was. And we realized that there's just, people are excited about it. And if you can just draw them in with just the word hemp and they were willing to pick your product up, you can explain more about hemp somewhere else on the packaging. Um, so it's a constant process to educate. But I think if you spend the time to, you, you learn so much being in store. And so I think the most valuable lessons that we learned for how to talk about hemp was just to be in store with a bucket of ice and samples because whatever consumers latched onto was what we were able to kind of re-edit and re-engineer into our packaging. So if they're like, oh, you know, hemp like omegas. And we're like, yeah, I like hemp seed oil. And they're like, oh, no way. And so you hear omegas constantly. You're like, oh, like fish oil or like, oh, is it like omega-3? And so when, you, when we started to hear that pattern, we then integrated that into our packaging. Yeah. And so we knew like, oh, if hemp would get them to pick it up, then if they had omegas on there, it would get them to kind of go through that discovery process.
1: No, definitely. Well, I think a lot of what you talked about too is actually listening to the consumers too. And I always talk about like, especially during the really hard days. I mean, when you're dealing with buyers that are just not educated about, or in our case, it was probably the same for yours. When we were starting Hint 17 years ago, there was no category for unsweetened flavored water. And I'm like, just create it. I mean, create a category, you know? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, let's do Actually, it. we're not gonna do that. And so, you know, then you'd walk out the door and, and hopefully next year you'd get to come back in again. And, you know, it's frustrating. But I kept looking at the consumer and kept reading comments from the consumers and I would run into those people. I felt like even, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book is during the hardest times, I'd go back to Whole Foods, not necessarily to talk to the consumer, but I would stand there and try and talk to consumers. Sometimes they'd be you know, buying my drink and sometimes they'd be buying other stuff because I felt like that was my focus group. Like Those were my audiences. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that they were sharing with you, um, oh, omegas. I mean, those are the things that really it, it helped me to understand what consumers were looking for as well. So- None of it is rocket science. I think more than anything, it's like the more you can simplify, the better off you're going to be. And uh, definitely, I mean, we had stories with Hint in the early days too, where we all uh, lots of buyers that we were meeting with would say, we want different, right? We want something yeah. unique and different. And the reality is, is that the consumer would still buy the things that they knew. And, you know, yeah. they know turmeric, they know ginger, they, in our case, they knew cherry, they knew, you know, blackberry, watermelon. And those were the yeah. things that they wanted to buy versus other flavors that we created that were amazing, like hibiscus. And they couldn't figure out what the heck hibiscus was. Some people could, yeah. but many people couldn't. And it ended up not to be the best um, sellers for us.
0: No, it's great. I think uh, it did a lot of those key learnings, I mean, even... If we go back to the earlier days, we had a you know we had a wellness shot that still wasn't dialed in, in in terms of flavor. It was called Restore and it was good for kind of like sleep and calming you down. And you know we we'd have people spit it back in the cup and then hand you the cup. And we were just, it was just a horrible moment because you're like I put all this energy into it, but you have to remove kind of the the ego part of it and be like you know what. This is, and you take the cup back you kind of like throw it away and be like, okay, well, how could I make it better? And, yeah. and you know, some people, most people were like, just no, this one, throw away. And then some people were kind enough to, you know, with our immune to be like, oh, less ginger, more turmeric, you know, dial this, you know, oh, it's, you know, uh, it kicks too much. And just taking those early learning lessons helped us kind of refine the product. And so I think you're right on when it comes to spending that time to understand the consumer. I think another thing was on our boxes that sat on the shelf. It used to say, you know, hemp, ginger, turmeric, and it was right at the bottom of the shelf. And we didn't know that the shelf has a lip. Mm-hmm. And so when we they would put our box on the shelf, it would cover it. all of the key ingredients. And so we go into the store and you have to be there. You have to look at the lip to say, something's not working. That's what it is. And so we moved it up and then you watch your sales take off. And it's sometimes it's as simple as just seeing that the ergonomics of the way that the shelf works means that you have to move your label up a little bit. So... I think there's nothing more valuable to, for, for an early stage founder in whatever business you are to spend as much of that time as close as you can to the consumer or to the customer to, to make sure you dial in that experience. Yeah.
1: And everybody will have a little bit different situation with their products, too. I mean, the case of Hint, I want our original labels were clear and I wanted a totally clear product. And then when we got it on the shelf, the lighting... Uh, was was Uh, would mess it up and you couldn't see it. And then we were always placed next to next to vitamin water, and they had Uh, you know bright colored drinks that was sitting next to uh, you know, a clear label with just some fruit on it, you couldn't see it. And so, you know, packaging makes a huge difference, but I think that the quicker you can get it on the shelf to see exactly if the consumer is going to be able to see it whether it's um, you know, the box or it's the actual bottle and who you're going to be placed next to uh, as well. And I think that that is such a key, key learning. What are some of the toughest things about starting a company that nobody talks about? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, people management, I think was
0: a really big one for me. Uh, growing through the business, um, just understanding that at, at a certain point, it goes beyond just you as a founder or you as a founder and a co-founder. And there's other people that you hire on to help you. And it's just understanding that, you know, the, a startup is not an easy place to work. It's, you know, it's it's extremely volatile. There's ups and downs. And, uh, you know, if it's someone that needs stability, I think in the early days, we hired you know, made some hires that were for people that needed stability, but also kind of understood the trajectory of the business. And so it was really daunting as a founder to try to understand how do you, how do you balance that, like no stability, but, you know, find the way to find their comfort place. And then I realized like, okay, well, I wasn't spending enough time that I needed to running the business. And so a big part of it was making sure that we hire the right people that understand the risk in the stage of the business. Um, I think, some of the other tough parts of the business was just coming as an outsider for me personally was not knowing how to run a business, mm-hmm. and so understanding a pro, you know P and L, a cash flow statement, a balance sheet, and so I think a lot of the times we were learning as we were building, and so you know when you know those early days you're watching your revenue decline and you don't really know how to fix it, and we were fortunate enough to have advisors where I you know I called one of them. You know, I'm looking at our, you know, bank balance and I'm looking at our business and I was like, look, he's like, Hey, I'm worried about you. I was like, don't worry about me. Just help me. And like, this is what I need. And so he's like, send me what you got. And so I'm very fortunate to have had people during the toughest times of our business to just say like, I need you now. And they rolled up their sleeves and said, you know, okay, no, your financials don't look right. This has to go here. You know, in consumer, we do trade spend after your top line and then you do your cogs. And so these are all trade spend and this is what it looks like. And so, and then I'd send it to him and he'd send it back and be like, okay, we're getting there, but we're, you know, this has to go down here and just dialing that process in to understand the business, I think was a really tough time for me because you still have to build, you have to run the business and it's still payroll and there's still employees. And, um, and so the, but then the picture became very clear. It's like, whoa. We have to find a couple points of margin. We got to, you know, this. these are the levers that we can pull on trade spend to drive our revenue. And these are the expenses. And now I can see all of them. And so how do we turn down the lights to extend our runway so that we have more funds to then, you know, pivot and then grow the business. And so I think a part of it that was just tough for me personally was kind of managing the business and the people side as I was learning the business right
1: yeah um, the rest of it how did you yeah. meet most of your advisors and, and and investors some of them are both right uh, for yeah. you yeah. but you have an incredible group um, you know ahmed from Numi, and um, and many many others that i may not know of i, I think you actually reached out to me on on linkedin your advisor. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> yeah. i th- i believe so and i think that you know that's part of also I think your job as an entrepreneur is, is to figure out how to grow that network. And I think so often people get stuck running the business, um, you know, building the team, trying to make sure that your sales are happening in Air One and Whole Foods and everything, but they don't actually focus on, you know, how can I make sure that I have a proper network that, can, that I can actually call on when I'm running into these walls and roadblocks? But how did you know how to do that?
0: That's a great question. I think coming as an outsider to the space, one of the biggest things for me was to, uh, and even for Chris and, and for Jacob, was to instantly understand, you know, be humble to the things we don't know. Mm-hmm. And what I what I learned from the, the previous startup that had failed was... The faster you can avoid the mistakes of others, the faster you can grow. And so the rate of learning was one of the critical things. If we could learn and we could learn fast and we don't make the same mistake twice, then we've got a really good chance at making something work. And so the best way to learn about how to build something is to find someone that's, that's built something similar to what you've built because they've done it and they kind of know what the path looks like. And so, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. The first ever advisor I had was just this guy. He was a successful guy that we would met through a friend at the gym. And I started learning to seek people out that were in the business space. It was kind of broad at the beginning. And I, you know, given, yeah, I was like just business and successful. Like, let's just, whatever I can get at the start, just anybody I can get that can help. And you'd be surprised how many people are willing to help you. This was just a connection through a friend at the gym. And I was like, hey, I've got a business plan. He's like, great. You know, I've got 45 minutes next, you know, two weeks from now on a Thursday. Meet me at a world market upstairs. You know, I'll give you 45 minutes. And so I pitched him my first business plan and he had all the notes on it. And I still remember to this day, he took my business plan and kind of like flipped it over and he was like, all right, pitch me. And I pitched him and it was horrible. And he goes, okay, well, sir, there's two ways we could do this. Do you want me to be honest or do you want me to be kind? And I was like, well, I, prefer <laughs> well, I'd prefer you be honest. And he was like, okay. And, I, and then it was supposed to be a 45-minute meeting. And for the next, like, two hours, I just got ripped into. He's like, you don't know how to do this. This is wrong. This isn't where it's supposed to be. And at the end, he was like, look, I'm really sorry, but I want, to, I want better for you. And so I and I that. see where you're coming from. And you're a good kid. And so, like, let me just help you. And so that, you know, that four-page business plan turned into what we ended up calling our boat anchor. It was like 100 and something pages. He's like, you don't know it, so I need it in this piece of paper. Uh, And so that was the first experience. Uh, His name was Danny, great guy. And so from there, I learned like, okay, I need more people like this, Mm -hmm. like more people that have kind of done it and will help. And so then we knew, we just Google, like we, you know, John Rulak was, uh, is one of our advisors and investors. And, you know, we just Googling and trying to learn more about hemp in the space, you realize he's one of the pioneers. And so he was doing a talk at some event in Oakland and we couldn't even afford tickets, but we like snuck in and, and we got into his talk and we had lanyards that had no tag on it. You kind of like hide in your jacket. We found a seat and oh waiting for him to finish his talk and ran up to him. We're like, John, we got to tell you about what we're doing. You know, we got this company and we're doing it. He's like, what are you guys talking about? And so we got his email. We're like, gotcha. And so uh, go home, send him an email, send him our business plan. He's like, guys, what is this, an idea? And, and eventually he just kind of give us pointers and he was like, okay, like you're persistent and, and, you know, he'd give us a couple tips and we'd come back and we'd already figured it all out. And he's like, all right, we'll give you a couple more tips. And then eventually he's like, okay, fine, I'll write you a small check. Uh, And so he wrote us a small check. And then eventually his checks grew and he connected us with the buddy, Ahmed. And um, and so it was the whole process, I think for us was finding people that have done what we wanted to do and just relentlessly chasing after them. And once you meet them, you realize they're a lot kinder than you think they are. They're way more willing to help than you think they are. They generally roll in packs. And so like John had connected us to Ahmed and you know, Ahmed connected us to David, who is, you know, his mentor. And so you realize like, oh, this person can help me, you know, Ahmed is like much, a lot more of a visionary, understands flavor profiles and packaging and branding. But then you realize like, oh, but his buddy Eric is like a finance guy. And so you're like, Ahmed, you know, can I talk to Eric for a second? And so then Eric's helping us with the finances. You're like, okay, well, why don't you come into the fold? Yeah. You know? uh, and then some of them, like, uh, you know, this guy named Bruce and, we got connected to him and he was trying to understand, he was part of like the vitamin water deal and just a really great guy. And I, I remember the first time I sent him our business plan, he was like, how small is this business? What are you, Oh, I can't help. And I was like, no, no, I don't want you to invest anymore. Like, I know I'd asked you for investment. Just just help me figure this contract out. He's like, fine, send it over. And so we reviewed the contract. And so he said no to investing the first time. And, you know, a couple months later I go back to him and I'm like, hey Bruce, you know, you invest in Lumen. He was like, nope, not doing it. And I was like, okay, no, no, fine. Put your money where you want. Just you know, keep helping me. I also got this other contract. I'm trying to figure out this. He's like, all right, fine, send it over. And so I send it over and he's redlining it and sends it back. And then after he said no, like seven or eight times, I uh, yeah, connected him to Chris. I was like, cool, help Chris with sales stuff. And he calls me one day and he's like, hey, like, I'm going to write you guys a check. You know, I'd love to invest in this business. And he's like, the founders are the guys. You know, It's always about execution. It's always about a good team and you know, it's willing to work and you know, ready to learn. And and so, you know, a lot of these people that we met, we kind of just Googled or found, a, you know, found one person that was connected to another. I love it. And we realized, how do you put that puzzle together and bring kind of bring a family together and know what everyone's strengths are and, um, and just really leverage it? Don't take no for an answer, I think is the biggest thing, right? They'll say no four, five, six, seven times. Uh, but yeah, you just keep getting back up. advice. So <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I, I yep. love
1: it. Well, so many lessons and thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Oh, Everyone needs to try Lumen and it's a, uh, it's a great product. Where's the best place besides the stores that you're in? Um, where's the best place for people? How can they try it?
0: Yeah. Uh, you can go to drinklumen.com. Uh, and you can order that way. So we'll ship coast to coast here in the States. Uh, it's two day shipping. So, uh, that's a really easy place to go. And then obviously if you're in, uh, if if you're in the coasts, like whole foods a mother's market, uh, Jimbo's. And then if you're in the middle of the country, like central market in Texas, but I think the easiest place would be drinklumen.com. And we ship coast to
1: coast. Well, thank you so much and good luck with everything. And like I said, everyone needs to try it. It's a great product. And, and, um, you know, definitely tasty for sure, plus amazing founders. So really incredible that what you guys are doing and for all the right reasons. So, and thanks everybody for coming on and, and listening and thanks for subscribing. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, so with amazing guests like here. and definitely remember to... Come and find me on all social platforms at Kara Golden. Check out my book, Undaunted, if you haven't already read it or listened to it. It shares so much about my journey as well. And uh, have a great rest of the week. So everybody, take care. And we will hopefully get to meet you guys at some point soon. So thanks again. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders. But achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for